Um, okay, uh, let's have a look at this next slide. Uh, I want to see if any, if any of you have heard of uh, this book called Dean, or the, called The Eyes of Darkness. Hands up if you've heard of this. Uh, it's, it's roaming the internet a little bit. Um, the Eyes of Darkness, written by Dean Kuntz, uh, written about 1981, and it's based... Uh, 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 on a story of uh, a mother investigating the mysterious circumstances of her son's death. But buried deep in the book uh, is this peculiar reference to a killer virus known as Wuhan uh, 400. It was written nearly 40 years ago and people are going mental over, over this occurrence Uh, It has gone, after 39 years of publishing, it's now gone to third this week on the Amazon bestseller list. Uh, So, um, but those uh, conspiracy theorists um, will be disappointed to know that there's where the similarity ends. Uh, It was in the original version of the book, it was set in Russia, not in China. But then when the Soviet Union uh, broke up, uh, the, the author in another version then moved it to China. So uh, there are other such non-similarities in the book. But it's really interesting that people have been fascinated by this so-called prophetic word uh, from the author so many years ago. And it struck me that what we're looking at today is far more astounding, far more remarkable, far more precise Uh, As we look at Daniel and we look at the book of Daniel, how God spoke to him years before events. Uh, And today is no exception as we look at this chapter in Daniel 8 about a prophecy that he had of something that was going to happen short term and hundreds of years in front, as well as something way deep into the future, which is yet to happen for us. So we uh, looked already, if you go to the next slide, we've looked, uh, Paul uh, mentioned to us last week, Daniel has got 12 chapters. The first six are the well-known stories of Daniel and his friends about how God used them and worked through them uh, and, and how we saw faithfulness and courage uh, as they faced various different trials. The next uh, six chapters, the second half of Daniel, is all about dreams and visions, how God spoke to Daniel about what would be and what has yet to be. Uh, last week we looked at the, the, the vision, or it was a dream of four beasts, uh, which were pointing uh, to four coming kingdoms, one, one being the kingdom that Daniel was already in, and looking to the Ancient of Days uh, and to the Son of Man, whose kingdom will last forever. And we're going to come back to that theme in due course, but today we're looking at, if you go to the next slide, we're looking at uh, this vision of a, a ram and a goat Daniel 8, as as Stephen read earlier, records this uh, really strange vision uh, given to Daniel of a ram and a goat. And uh, and we're going to look at how this vision pointed not just to the future, which has already happened for us, but also to the future, which is yet to happen for us uh, and and, and humanity. So today we're going to look just, first of all, we're going to have a wee look at at, uh, about I don't know, the, skeptics, the skeptics and, and, and the authenticity of Daniel as a book, first of all, to set the foundation that this, what we're reading, is true. Secondly, we're going to then explore the vision. Uh, and I have to make an apology here. We're going to be doing a wee bit of history as we explore the vision. Uh, history was not my strong point at school. History was not my favorite subject. Uh, those of you who were at the same school as me would know, well, I had a history teacher and his name well, hopefully he won't listen to the podcast, but his name uh, was Rodney Brown. 
And uh, he, was, uh, he wasn't the most inspiring uh, of, of uh, history teachers. He, he was known to have a real beat-up car, and he used to hold traffic up coming into, into the school, and he was nicknamed Hot Rod. Uh, and it, it, it sort of just summed up the, the, the kind of um, irony of his, of his name. Um, but, but we learned about the Greeks and the Romans, and I wish I'd listened more because it would have made my preparation for today uh, a lot easier. So we're going to look at the vision and a wee bit of history behind that. And forgive me if history is not your thing, but it's fascinating to see what's already happened. But then we're going to ask, why did God give the vision? Why is this in God's word? Because there's a purpose for it being there. Uh, And we're going to have a look at that too. And obviously, as usual, uh, we're going to then ask ourselves, so what? What does this mean for me then tomorrow? If this is alive, if this is God's written word uh, and we believe it to be true, what does this mean for me tomorrow? So, context then. Uh, next slide, please. Um, no, co- context here, you, you can see uh, I stole some of this and then um, imposed a few other things on it of, the, of, of Google. Thank you, Google. Um, uh, you can see there are a couple of uh, empires which happened before the Babylonian Empire. You can see the blue line on the right-hand side is where Daniel ex- uh, w- w- lived. Uh, so he, he was there when the Babylonian Empire took over. Uh, and then also when, when the Medo-Persian Empire uh, came into play. Um, and uh, Daniel's visions and dreams in chapter 2 and chapter 7 and also in, in today's chapter look to these four latter kingdoms, the Babylonian kingdom that he was in, the Medo-Persian, the Greek and the, and the Roman Empire. Today we're just looking at two empires in chapter 8 uh, and it's fascinating to see what Daniel foretold. Much of it relates to the near future, but some, as we will see, uh, relates to something sometime already uh, to be. Prophecies recorded here, and the prophecy recorded, as we've already read some of it, and we're going to talk about the the interpretation of it, are fascinating in their accuracy. They're astounding in their accuracy, so much so that skeptics who conclude that there can be no supernatural, then they said, well, that must have been written after the event. They accept that it's true, but they, they, the only way that you can uh, live with the idea that there's no such thing as a supernatural is to say, well, he must have written that after the event. The assumption is that long-term predictive prophecy can't happen. Um, but we do believe in a supernatural God. Uh, and every now and again, something happens in secular archaeology uh, that, that, that goes to prove or goes to, goes to indicate that actually God's word is true. Um, that the benchmark that we use is the right benchmark. And there's much evidence of fulfilled prophecy in the Old Testament that has already come true. We can read of the Jesus' birthplace, Jesus' life, death, and resurrection all fascinatingly prophesied long before Jesus came. But in the middle of the 20th century, there was the discovery of what are known as the Dead Sea Scrolls that some of you, will, I'm sure, will have heard of in Qumran, uh, somewhat, not too far away from uh, Jerusalem. Um, there were 11 caves uh, that ultimately uh, came to be, where, which had papyrus uh, scrolls dating right back as far, for some of them, to the 3rd century BC. The vast majority of the scrolls contained a, a lot of what we understand to be the, the, the Old Testament. But there was also a literature around that and even commentary around that. And it was dated uh, by techniques, uh, modern techniques, right back at different times, anywhere between 100 and, and 250 BC. 
And we now know Daniel was uh, in that batch of, 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 uh, of scrolls, but uh, there are parts of Daniel were already recorded in there, but clearly Daniel was regarded as, 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 as part of the Old Testament canon of Scripture, uh, way back at least in 100, 150. Uh, so therefore, uh, and the language of Daniel and, and all of the indications in there suggest that Daniel was indeed written way back hundreds of years before that. Our faith, you see, is not blind or illogical. Uh, the difference is we believe in a supernatural God and we leave open the possibility uh, that God can speak uh, and can speak ahead of time. And if he speaks, we need to listen. And so let's look at this vision uh, uh, of, of the goat and the ram. If you go to the next slide, um, uh, we have heard uh, the vision already read to us in Daniel chapter 8. It if you're like me, you probably only heard a bit of that and weren't quite sure what it was all about. Uh, but in the vision, just a, a wee sort of summary, Daniel was transported to a place called Susa, which is in modern day Iran. I'm not sure the significance of that being in the vision, uh, but it appears uh, that the animals represent kingdoms and the horns represent the kings or the rulers of the kingdom. Uh, and if you know that, if you think of that, it helps to, to understand the vision. So first of all, you had this ram, which is a male sheep for all you townies out there. Um, and this ram was going mental. It was charging west, it was charging north, it was charging south, uh, and no animal could stand against it. He did as he pleased. He became great, it said. And, I, and, and the picture of a ram, I, I don't know if you've had much experience on the farm. Uh, I'm sure, <laughs> sure our reader this morning would, 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 would be able to concur with this, but I, I know that in my, in my parents' house, uh, um, up in the North Antrim coast, the, uh, uh, a shortcut to the to the back door of my parents' house uh, was through a field, and and I remember on one occasion, not that long ago, uh, there was a ram in the field, and it was really scary, really unpredictable, and would charge at you like without without warning, uh, and at least it would charge at me without warning, uh, and so I. I I always thought I need to I need to exude a, a kind of uh, air of uh, I'm not scared of you, uh, but I walked very carefully close to the to the fence so that I could do a quick jump. But it really was it was a brute. It was huge and it was powerful. Uh, it did not have horns, thankfully, uh, and it did run for me on a few occasions. Um, but this ram was there at two horns, uh, and 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 the the the, the ram w was a picture, as we as we will see, of the of the Medes and the Persian Empire, the two uh, empires coming together. And suddenly, then we read that a goat comes flying across the earth and charges the ram in great rage, uh, and it shattered the the, the, the ram's horns, uh, and then the goat itself. That one horn in, in, its, in its head, it gets broken uh, suddenly or it breaks off suddenly at, at the height of its power and it's replaced by four horns. And if you think of this picture of, of rulers, that might uh, come to make some sense as we go on. Something dramatic also happens with regard to this future where it talks about the desolation of the sanctuary and the daily sacrifice taken away, which we'll come back and revisit in a wee minute or two. And now we come to the interpretation. So we've, he, he, he has had this vision, but here he is in Daniel chapter 8, and, and we're told that while I, verse 15, while I, Daniel, was watching the vision and trying to understand it, there before me stood one who looked like a man. And I heard a man's voice from Uli calling, that, that was the, 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 the place where, where, where he was standing, Gabriel. And that's the angel Gabriel. 
So this man said to him, Gabriel, tell this man, Daniel, the meaning of the vision. As he came near the place where I was standing, I was terrified and fell prostrate. You can imagine Daniel uh, meeting angel Gabriel. He was terrified. Son of man, he said to me, understand that the vision concerns the time of the end. Both the man and, 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 and Gabriel himself as well were keen that Daniel understood the meaning of the vision, but also understand that this was pointing to something future. Verse 19, he said, I'm going to tell you what will happen later in a time of wrath because the vision concerns the appointed time of the end. And we're going to see that the vision speaks with remarkable accuracy concerning two coming kingdoms, because that's now history, uh, but also points to something remarkable in the future. And it also appears from what is being said here that the events of the coming kingdoms are a foretaste of something uh, in the future. And so let's look at, uh, let's break it down as the, as the verses go on. Let's take the next uh, slide. Uh, and so the translation goes on, the interpretation goes on in verse 20. The two-horned ram that you saw represents the kings of Media and Persia. So here is Daniel, nine years before the Medes and Persians uh, uh, conquer the Babylonians. If you remember the feast where, where he was at Belshazzar was kind of the very end of that Babylonian feast and then in comes the Medes and Persians. This was before that and this was being foretold. Uh, verse 20, the two-horned ram that you, saw, that you saw represents the Medes and the Persians. And then in verse 4, way back at, at, at the vision itself, no animal could stand against it. No one could rescue it from its power. It did as it pleased. The ram in the ancient world was often used to, to indicate uh, Persia, the Persian Empire. And together the Medes and the Persian became this invincible ram that roamed wherever it pleased. Uh, and, and Daniel saw this picture and knew something powerful was going to, and this was unseen nine years before, but something was going to conquer the Babylonian Empire. Uh, and it must have been uh, fascinating to him. It's little wonder that when Belshazzar, towards the end of, of the Babylonian Empire's existence, when he offered, if you remember, Daniel uh, interpreted the writing on the wall that we, that we read about a number of weeks ago. Um, and Belshazzar said, I'm going to give you this and this and this in the kingdom. It's little wonder that Daniel said to him, you may keep your gifts for yourself. Because he knew that this kingdom was going to come and flatten the Babylonian Empire. And Daniel's faithful commitment to prayer and time in God's presence, it gave him an assuredness that God was in control. And it gave him an assuredness of the coming kingdoms, of kingdoms coming and going, of kings falling and kings rising, that God was in control. And that God's kingdom was eternal. And that's something of what we've been looking to in prayer week. Uh, following the example of Daniel, trying to seek to listen to God, to even write down what God might be saying to us, to be challenged by it and to share with each other. And we're going to look at this tonight and when we come together as a church to plead with God for help, but with the perspective of something bigger that's going on. And we look around us and we know this is a very uncertain world, um, an uncertain place. Kings come and kings go, but we do know that God's word is eternal. And so the, the ram is here, it's conquered Babylon, the Medes and Persians are in existence. It's as if no one can stand against it. And then next slide, along comes this goat with a horn in the middle of its head. 
in between its eyes. Now Daniel sees in the vision this goat with a prominent horn between the eyes coming from the west at high speed. Verse 21 then interprets this. The shaggy goat is the king of Greece and the large horn between its eyes is the first king. History tells us about Alexander the Great. He conquered the world at blistering pace. The seemingly all-powerful Medes and the Persians were crushed by Alexander the Great and the Greeks. And suddenly their time was up because in 333 BC, in the battle which is known as the Battle of Isis, Alexander the Great with 35,000 men conquered 10,000 horsemen and 100,000 foot soldiers in a famous battle. Uh, and subsequent battles ensured that the, 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 the Medes and the Persians were wiped out and the Greeks became the new superpower. And at the height of his success, Alexander the Great, at 33 years of age, when he, or 32, 33, when he, was, when he was sort of celebrating a victory or whatever, he had a drunken party and he went back to his residence in the rain, soaking wet, wouldn't allow probably anybody to, to help him. Uh, and in a, in a drunken stupor, went to sleep in his residence, having got soaked and died three days later of pneumonia. Verse 8 told us that the goat became very great, but at the height of its power, the large horn was broken off. And so the vision goes on, next slide, to talk about this horn being replaced by four horns. Uh, and again, think of, think of um, uh, rulers here. Uh, one grew more prominent. Verse 22 says, The four horns that replaced the one that was broken off represent four kingdoms that will emerge from his nation, but will not have the same power. And in verse 9, we, we read originally that out of the four horns grew one horn. It set itself up as great. It took away the daily sacrifice. What on earth does a horn taking away the daily sacrifice imply? It destroyed the sanctuary. We read in history that after Alexander the Great fell, there was a, there was a kind of, uh, he, he, he himself, after he died, there was a, a sort of ensuing power struggle uh, uh, for 40 years. And ultimately, his kingdom was divided into four, uh, where four different generals uh, became king, kind, of, kind of kings of many kingdoms. And 150 years later, history also records about a bloke who came from one of these kingdoms and was the king of that kingdom and he was called Antiochus IV. And he was an absolute madman. He was uh, head of this Seleucid Empire, one of the four, and set about enlarging his power base. And he used all sorts of uh, underhand strategies. Uh, and he gained control of Judea and its capital, Jerusalem. And he called himself Antiochus Epiphanes meaning God manifest. He was kind of full of himself, you might say. And he nicknamed uh, himself, he gave himself this name and the locals nicknamed him uh, 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 Antiochus Epimenes, meaning the madman. He couldn't tolerate the exclusivism, he couldn't tolerate, I'm going to give it one more go, the exclusivism of, the, of Judaism, that this God could only be one God. What about all the other gods? Uh, and he didn't like this devotion to God. So he replaced the high priest with one of his own. He wanted to sort of just conquer this kingdom, conquer this culture. He encouraged people even to worship him as Baal, the, the Mediterranean God. 
And, and also in history, it, it, it records that when he was coming back from one of his battles in Egypt, rumor spread that he had been defeated. And the, 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 the Jews were happy about this. And they, they sought to replace uh, the high priest with a, with a genuine high priest. And when he heard about this, he was furious. And he massacred tens of thousands of Jews, 40,000 in three days and more as time went on. And he went into the temple in Jerusalem and he removed the golden altar and the lampstand and all the vessels. Do you remember Belshazzar took the vessels to drink from them? He removed them, but not only that, he sacrificed a pig on the altar as the ultimate uh, curse or the ultimate insult to the Jewish people. He stopped the daily sacrifice and the Sabbath observance and he banned Jewish festivals and the reading of the law. He even ordered the burning of the law. And in 167 BC, he rededicated the temple to God Zeus, to the, to the Greek God Zeus. Some of that had already been indicated, but as we read through in the interpretation of the vision, we pick it up, verse 23. A fierce-looking king, master of intrigue, will arise. He will become very strong, but not only by his own power. He will cause astounding devastation and will succeed. He will succeed in whatever he does. He will destroy those who are mighty, the holy people. He will cause deceit to prosper. He will consider himself superior. And when they feel secure, he will destroy many and take a stand against the prince of princes. Yet he will be destroyed, not by human power. What actually happened as a result of all of this was his actions were a step too far for the, the proud Jewish people. And it caused a revolt. And a, a guy called Judas Maccabeus, who was one of the sons of a priest, uh, he sort of got together a, a bunch of rebels and took flight to the hills and then attacked this empire. And in 164, they recaptured almost all of Jerusalem. They rebuilt and rededicated the temple. Uh, and that, that, that rededication is celebrated to this day by the Jewish people as, as the festival of Hanukkah. Uh, I'm sure you'll have heard of that. And according to the book of Maccabees, Antiochus Epiphanes contracted an exceedingly painful disease accompanied by deep psychological anguish. I quote, He will be destroyed, but not by human power. So what was the impact on Daniel as we come to the sort of close of this chapter? Verse 27, when Daniel looked at all this, saw this vision, saw what was happening way in the future, it records that Daniel was appalled and he lay exhausted for several days. This wasn't just, my goodness, that was a, that was a scary movie there. He lay exhausted for several days. This madman's actions wouldn't affect Daniel. This would be way in the future of Daniel's lifetime. But he was traumatized by this vision. And that tells me something about Daniel. You see, part of me would think, well, that's away in the future. You know, it's like a number of generations away. It's not going to impact me. But Daniel was, wasn't uh, satisfied with that. He was satisfied with his own obscurity, with his own humility, but he was seeking to build God's kingdom. And when he saw this being destroyed, he was wrecked. Uh, it wasn't about his own reputation. It was about the kingdom of God. This vision wouldn't impact him as much as God's kingdom in the future. And he was floored by this. 
So that's what it says. So why, next question, why, or next slide please, why the vision? What, what purpose did God have in giving Daniel this vision? Why is it recorded in the canon of Scripture? Why is it recorded as inspired God's Word? History does record the remarkable accuracy of that vision uh, and, and, and the prophecy. But also in these words, three different verses in that passage in Daniel chapter 8 talks about this being the time of the end and the distant future. And verse 26, it says, The vision, and it goes on, that has been given you is true, but seal up the vision for it concerns the distant future. This is one of those occasions where the Bible talks to both near and distant future. Uh, where prophecy is seen to be fulfilled, but is yet to be fulfilled. Uh, and I was reading John Lennox's book on Daniel, which is absolutely excellent. And this is what he says. We are looking through the contours of Antiochus and his time to a much bigger and sadly more terrible scenario in the future. This is yet to be. When a bold and fierce king who is like Antiochus in his deceit, cunning and power, rises up against the prince of princes and, destroyed, and is destroyed by supernatural power. The remarkable accuracy of what has already happened gives us confidence in the prophecy of what is yet to happen. A force of pure evil will be destroyed by the Ancient of Days at the end times. And Jesus and Paul speak about this in Matthew, I think it's 24, 25, and in Thessalonians as well. Um, and this vision is sent to God's people to let them know that there will be an end. That God's destruction of Antiochus is just a foretaste of what's going to happen in the future. Because we are locked in the present and we're seeing things happen all around us. And we talk about superpowers. And we talk about uh, powerful forces in our world. This vision gives us some degree of assurance. So why the vision then? First point, I think, is that it lets me have confidence that God's word is true. More than for Daniel, as much for us that we have seen what has already come to be with remarkable accuracy. It leads us to faith in God's word. And we can, we can believe in God's word. We can see that he prophesied and it happened. That we can have faith uh, that the prophecy that is yet to be will be fulfilled. But secondly, it tells us that, God's, that it assures us that God is in control. Some shocking things were about to happen. The Medes and the Persian Empire were about to conquer. And in Daniel's day, Daniel knew that God was in control. He knew that, that this was all in God's hand, that evil will seem to prosper. And, and the psalmist puts it this way, how long will you let this go on, God, in Psalm 94? But this vision would assure Daniel that this is temporary in the grand scale of things, that in the end, the evil will be led to destruction. This vision would assure him that God is in control, that the message of the prophets is be patient, persevere until the day of the Lord. When the Medes and the Persians conquered Babylon, Daniel had hope. He saw God's hand in it. And thirdly, 
it also tells us something about the enemy's strategy. Looking back at verses 11 and 12, we see what what happened in Antiochus's day. We read that he took away the daily sacrifice of the Lord. This daily sacrifice of the Lord, that was the, en- the enemy's strategy. It was part of the daily routine for the people of God. And the enemy knows that when he takes away that daily routine, that, 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 that daily fellowship with God, that it's, it's attacking where it really can hurt. Jesus taught us to pray for our daily bread and to keep short accounts with God. Forgive us uh, our trespasses as we forgive those who, who trespass against us. Satan's strategy is to get rid of the daily rhythm. I absolutely believe that. And I know that my spiritual life is impacted when I let that drift. But also the, the, the strategy of the evil one is that his sanctuary was thrown down. This, this, this attack on, on, on God's people. Just as Antiochus would destroy the sanctuary, so Satan seeks to destroy the church. And we've seen it even in our own town. He uses persecution, he uses discord, he uses division, misunderstanding and pride and lust for power and all sorts of things. And we need to see that for what it is. It's the strategy of the evil one. So it's attacking the sanctuary. And finally, in verse 12, we see that truth was thrown to the ground, that he would, uh, verse 25, he would cause deceit to prosper right from the Garden of Eden. The devil's uh, tools are lies, are deceit. They're from the enemy. Be on your guard against those who would distort the truth, Paul says. Be alert and of sober mind, Peter says. Your enemy prowls, the devil prowls like, around like a roaring lion seeking for someone to desire. And so if that's the strategy of the devil and that's why God has given this vision, then so what? What does this mean for me tomorrow? Daniel verse 27 was appalled by the vision. He was exhausted for several days. This wasn't a wee dream or an animated movie. It was profoundly disturbing for for him. And even though it was way in the future, he was still disturbed. Why was that? I believe it was because, as I said before, Daniel cared about God's reputation and God's kingdom. And he detested what he saw. But this I find really interesting. The next slide there. Then I got up and I went about the king's business. Something happened. He got up and went about the king's business because he had perspective. So he returned from his sick leave and went back to doing the king's business, what he'd been faithfully called to do. He wasn't called to save the world single-handedly and receive all sorts of adulation for what a great leader he was. Not at all. He was called to be relentlessly faithful. He returned to the daily routine of daily prayer and faithful service, duties that God had given to him. And this is a biblical principle. In view of what the future holds, we have to live holy lives right now, tomorrow, and the next day. Relentless, faithful, daily dependence. Living in the knowledge that God is in control. And he could call us at that point, or he could make a king fall at that point. He is in control, and my role is not to be him. My role is to simply be faithful. And that's what we've been seeking to do in prayer week, to be faithful to God, to listen to him, to hear from him, and to plead with him. John Wesley was once asked what he would do if he knew that Christ would return tomorrow at noon. What would you do? 
and he stopped and he took out his diary and he looked through his diary and he saw a few different activities and he said, that's what I would do. Because the hope that he had in the future allowed him to live already today for that kingdom. And that's what we're called to be, relentlessly faithful, dependent on him and fear of nothing because he is in control. Amen.